podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all that thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hashtag Dissonomics Podcast. I uh, hope you've had a fantastic week. Mine hasn't been too shabby. I know you didn't ask. Make sure you beautiful people check out last week's episode. It's called Premium Perfumes. I didn't get the French right as good as CR did, but I was joined by two refined gentlemen. Ernest, aka Caesar Sense on Instagram, a perfume enthusiast, perfume fanatic, he also does consultations for perfumes, scents in general, like maybe for your house in terms of like essential oils and candles and other things there. And of course, um, my broski and the owner of the studio, in fact, High Frequency Studios. Go check that out if you need to hire out for podcasting or videos, whatever, or music. CR Blacks. And we spoke about perfumes. We spoke about our journey into liking perfumes. Um, Ernest was giving us a lot of amazing information in terms of the notes, the science behind perfumes the history, how they decide to price. And we're just having a good time talking about different perfumes, different occasions, our favorites, what we've learned. And yeah, we smelt some live on air, which which was a good experience. A lot of you have enjoyed that. So if you haven't heard that, go check that out. Ladies, there's definitely Christmas gifts there for your brother, your partner, your, who else you buy gifts for? Your dad. And to be fair, a lot of these women could definitely wear. So make sure you check that out. Of course, by the time you're hearing this, I know I've been slacking on the YouTube terribly. Um, I would give you an excuse, but I actually don't have one. So <laughs> I've just been a bum. But we back, baby. By the time you're hearing this, well, if you're, if you're hearing this at midnight, then not yet. But by 10 a.m. in the morning, you should see a video on my YouTube talking about why the hell flights back home are so expensive. For those who don't know where home is, I'm talking about Nigeria, Ghana, Congo, Zimbabwe. Why are flights back to people's homelands during Christmas so expensive? So I get into that on YouTube. So that's youtube.com forward slash Dysonomics. And of course, Patreon, jump on that. And what else? Oh, I spent two minutes on my waffle. Oh, Shot and Chaser. Make sure you guys follow Shot and Chaser. It's exclusively on Spotify. I host a money podcast on that every Thursday. So that's where my episode is. Press the notification bell so it comes straight to your phone. And for this number, actually. Yeah, you do that. And subscribe on, on YouTube, all that stuff. But anyway, that's all the housework out the way. This week's episode, I am talking about fast fashion. The economics of fast fashion, how it works, what is fast fashion, and what is the impact of like popular culture influences on fast fashion today. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. Hi, it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, people. This week, we are talking fast fashions. What is fast fashion? Fast fashion came hand in hand with globalization and logistic efficiency in the 21st century. Fast fashion is simply the speed at which retailers provide you apparel for you to go and purchase. What is globalization? Globalization is where different where the economies from all different nations became more connected. Back in the days, you wouldn't, you could, if you have a company in England, you wouldn't be able to have multiple stores 
all across the world. But of course, with, with transportation being changed, now you could catch flights, ferries, boats, trains, all that type of stuff. Um, you With trade laws being loosened, trade blocks being formed, for example, like with the EU, well, we used to be in it up until January 31st, um, you could just decide to go work in Germany or France, for example. So we became very fluid and very globalised. That's why you have com um, companies like Amazon have literally offices everywhere. Starbucks have coffee shops everywhere, all across the world. That is globalization. And obviously that's been pushed by the 21st century and technologi te technological advances. So that's been able to make the, the fashion industry a lot more agile. Because now I can have, you can have shops all over the world. And not only that, you could also push the production process, parts of the production process all over the world where it's a bit cheaper. For example, I worked in a lot of law firms and then quite a few law firms that like me and some of the people that I know that worked in, they were moving some of their departments because a law firm, this is a bit off topic, but what is a law firm? The people that matter in a law firm are the fee earners. So that's the lawyers. So that's the associates, the trainees, and most importantly, the partners, the people that actually bring home the bacon, the people that are, you know, if anyone what suits, what them man do, you get. They are the most important part of the business. So they, you can't really outsource a law firm in London. It doesn't make sense. However, business support, which I was part of in finance team. So you've got your finance team, you've got your HR team, you've got your facilities team, which kind of deal with all the stuff around the building and res um, resources inside the building. You've got um, IT and well, that's pretty much about it. Part of a business support, you can potentially outsource because you don't necessarily need your finance team to be in London because they don't, they're not, it's not necessary. So what we were seeing is some jobs get, get um, pushed towards the Polish office or the Estonian office. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the cost of labor is cheaper there. So it is more beneficial for the company to have the finance team maybe, or the IT team maybe in a country where the price, the wages are, let's say 10, 15 grand cheaper than have them in London. What does that do? You're making more money. You're, you've got bigger profits because your costs have gone down. So that's what we've seen in globalization, especially in fast fashion, which I want to get into. If you look at the 1950s, so that's even before my parents were born, a ready-made dress will cost you $9. You're thinking $9, that's light. Well, today, that's $72. So that was the price back then. Compared to today, a ready-made dress will cost you a lot cheaper, but it's not made to last as long. Hence why they call it fast fashion. Zara is credited to have the first successful fast fashion business model. It, it has a design to retail style of about maximum about five weeks. So from the moment I'm designing, I don't know, let's say I'm designing a top and Zara, in the in the warehouse or whatever, by the time it hits Westfield Zara, it'll be it could be as quick as five weeks. Well, as long as up to five weeks. Zara introduces 20 different collections per year. So they're constantly changing the fashion inside their stores. So hence the term fast fashion. Um, Zara started off as a dressmaker in 1963. But by 1975, they had a first store in Spain. Now, fast forward in 2020, in 2020, Zara had sold over $21 billion worth of goods, $21 billion. And their brand is said to be worth $15 billion. So they've come a long way and they are a big mega player in the fast fashion industry. What I personally thought as a 
ignorant man. Well, I thought fast fashion was your PLTs, your fashion overs, your misguided, your boohoos, your what else is there? Oh, that's where my knowledge kind of ends. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I thought that was fast fashion. But fast fashion is actually Zara, H&M, River Islands, Topshop, rest in peace. <laughs> Ultra fast fashion is the misguiders, the PLTs, the boohoos, the fashion overs. Like that is instant fast fashion. So I was reading a report from Corsite Research, which found that if you look at Misguided, they release 1,000 new products every month. Think about how quick that they are designing and producing and selling clothes. 1,000 new products every month. And the reason why I say this is fast, ultra fast fashion, think about Louis Vuitton, for example. Go on the Louis Vuitton website, go on the Dior website you're not seeing a thousand new joints on their website. You're not. There's going to be stuff to have for a particular season. You might see something pop up here and there or something come back in stock, but it's not going to be to the same velocity, to the same volume as Misguided, for example. And if you look at the Fashion Nova CEO, they said that they launch 600 to 900 new styles every week. 600 to 900 new, that's a insane volume of new designs and clothing and apparel on their websites every week. Now, what's really impacted the shift towards fast fashion and ultra fast fashion? I think it's a mix between, not I think, but I know, <laughs> it's a mix of social, the rise of social media and the rise of influencer culture and marketing. This has opened a niche for fast fashion brands, especially the online retailers such as Boohoo, such as Pretty Little Thing, to go and thrive. So, a lot of us on social media, so I'm currently 32. I was probably one of the first people in my network to probably have an Instagram account because in uni, so this is like 2009, 2010, I had the iPhone 3 or maybe the 3GS, one of the two. So I was a phoneaholic. I used to change my phone all the time. So I was one of the few people that had an iPhone and a Blackberry. And I remember, my, shout out my boy Meads, Touchline Frackers, Picture and Paint. He also had an iPhone. And I remember his picture on Twitter was wavy. It had like a mad type of filter. Do you know what I mean? Them times you could only do like a black or white thing. He had a, a different type of gradient on the picture. I was like, bro, how do you do that to your picture? He said, Instagram. I literally downloaded the app so I could just basically deep fry my pictures. Do you know what I mean? Them times the app, there was no DMs. There was no video. There was no stories. And literally what people used to post on Insta was just like random like pictures of like dogs um, it was like really low maintenance, like, but as technology improved, um, smartphones became better with better cameras, more interactive and more and more, and more, and more, more and more of us started having smartphones. Social media grew more and more and more, and it became a very, very fundamental part of our lives and especially pop culture. So if you're going on Instagram and you're seeing all different types of drips, all different types of dresses, trainers, and from your favorite influencer, your favorite rapper, athlete, um, actors, whoever, or even people in your, in your network, people that you know, or your favorite person, oh, oh Shanice, oh, I just saw her in this new dress. Oh, where did you get this dress from? Might even hit her up like, yo, where did you get this dress from? And obviously people are out, when people are socializing, they also want to post and documentate their lifestyle. And there's a taboo with having the same drip twice. I can't even lie. That slapped me. I might want to come and cap. Sometimes I don't want to, but some of my clothes are too expensive to live like that and I have to 
had to grow out of it. But definitely in uni, I wasn't trying to wear this, be pitching the same thing twice. No, I already got a picture of this on Facebook. I'm not trying to run that back. So this culture, along with the rise of social media, has really pushed fast fashion, ultra fast fashion. Social media is always changing. There's always a new swag. Oh, Yeezy 350s. Oh, now there's the 380s. Oh, now there's the 450s. And you're always seeing this dropped by certain tastemakers. And fast fashion reacts to that quickly. Like, I'm sure the latest in this podcast could see, they've seen, oh, Kim Kardashian's worn this. Instantly, PLT got something similar for a much more affordable price. And even Zara, if you go to Zara, Zara have definitely kind of imitated or taken inspiration, whichever way you see it, from designer brands. You see them copy some of the stuff that Gucci have done, Balenciaga have done, um, Burberry have done. You see certain things that you would at a glance think is high fashion, but it's actually Zara. And as I said, wearing outfits twice on IG is a bit mad. That's how people feel. And fast fashion know this, so they, by design, are agile to the situation where they can react to the trends very quickly. So according to a 2017 survey done by Hubbub, a London sustainability firm, 41% of 18 to 25-year-olds feel pressured to wear a different outfit every time they go out. So that's, if you take, if you, let's say, for example, you're at wireless, take 10, a lot of people there are likely to be in the 18 to 25 year old age range. Take four out of 10 people and four out of 10 people there are going to feel pressured to have a different drip the next time they go out. What you think about it is actually pretty crazy. Bernardo Charity, no, Bernardo Charity, sorry, in 2019 found that Brits will spend 2.7 billion pounds 2.7 billion pounds. That is enough to buy the majority of Premier League football clubs on clothes during summer that they'll only wear once. I know a very special person that buys clothes and she'll only wear it once. No names though. Fast fashion makes sense to people today because I can't wear this outfit multiple times. But if it's 80 pounds, 120 pounds, 70 pounds, 250, 55 pounds a pop, that's not sustainable for the majority of people in the United Kingdom. But if you could get dresses for 14 pounds, 8 pounds, 5 pounds, 20 pounds, that's more doable. You can, you know, swap and change these clothes. Like, I know bear of my friends, shout out my brother Evie, oh, I'm going out this weekend. Quickly, PLT delivery arrived at the house by Friday. And she ain't gonna wear that shit again. Nah. If we look at the, and to further hammer home the the change in attitude and behavior in terms of how we view fashion and clothing, in 1900, so the year 1900, Americans spent 20% of their income on apparel, but owned fewer items of clothing. So think about your current wage, your salary after tax, 20% of it, so one in five pounds that you will spend will be on something clothe related they had fewer clothes. In 2003, Americans were spending 4% of their income. So that's a drop of 16%. So from 20% to 4% of their income on, on clothes. But we are buying, Americans have been buying, and the rest of us in the, the, rest of us in the Western world have been buying way more clothes because clothes have become cheaper relatively to our income. So that's the behavior. So let's talk about the business model. So the fast fashion brands, business model is predicated on low production costs. 
So this is how business work. You have revenue, so that's what you sell. So if I have a donut shop, shout out Donut Bay, my boy Lewis's brand, make sure you check that out on Insta, every Sunday at the Soul Box. So let's say I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take on Lewis. Yeah? This is donuts, yeah? I have a donut company. My revenue is a total amount of donuts I sell. Then I have my cost, which is the cost of producing these donuts. It could be the bakers, it could be the electricity, the gas, um, advertisement, marketing, all, all everything that I spend to produce these donuts is the costs, and everything I receive from selling these donuts is the revenue, right? So the aim of the game is to maximize your revenue. So make as much money in sales as possible and keep your cost as low as possible. Cause that means that your profit's gonna be high. Cause your profit is the amount you get in, the amount you sell versus the amount you spend to create whatever products or business or service that you have. So if I sell 10,000 donuts for 10,000 pounds and it costs me one grand to make these donuts, I'm in a profit of nine grand. And my aim is to increase that 10,000 in sales and reduce that 1,000 pounds in costs. So for fast fashion brands to be successful, they have to keep the cost of producing as low as possible because the amount they charge is high. I mean, the amount they charge is also low. So the lower the cost of the lower the cost, the lower the price of the garments. How they manage this is they have low paid workers who often work in pretty unsafe conditions. Um, I'm gonna give you an example of this. So if you look at 2013 in Bangladesh, they had the unfortunate Rana Plaza building um, disaster. So this building, which is an eight story building, collapsed with a hundred with 1,129 workers dying. And in Bangladesh, the minimum wage for um, employees in Bangladesh is $68 per month. $68 per month. So fast fashion brands, and this is not just predicated to them, this is business all over the world. As I said earlier in the podcast, they will move certain facet, facets of the production of the supply chain to areas where it's cheaper to produce. So they could curate the garments in Bangladesh, in Malaysia, in Thailand, in China, in India, in Pakistan, where the the price that they're paying to produce these things is dirt cheap. I'm sure many of you have heard, yeah, it costs like three pounds to make a pair of Air Maxes. That's how they maximize their profits. Um, changes in trade law in the 70s and globalization, which I spoke about earlier, is what resulted to this, where the supply chain was spread across across the world. So if you look at Cambodia, Cambodia has 600,000 people working in the garment industry. The monthly minimum wage in Cambodia is $100. So these brands get value for money by, unfortunately, these low-paid workers in the, not the greatest of conditions and often really bad condition because the cost of producing these garments that they're going to be selling quickly is a lot lower. Fast fashion also depends on speed, hence the term fast. The more trendier items in the collection, so let's say are something that they're copying from from Kanye or from Little from Little Kim, from Kim Kardashian, or from Rihanna or from whoever or from Balenciaga, if they see something is popping online, they have to be able to make that design, see it, design it, and have it on their website pronto, and. They do this by having some of the productions produced either near to your shores or even onshore. So let's say it could be even produced in the UK or be produced in Spain or Italy or whatever, simply because you need to have the speed to react. Hence, for example, Zara, they can take two to three weeks from designing an item for it hitting a store. 
So that's the business model. Low production costs and fast production, being speedy. And the, and the profit margins are very healthy. So to round up, if you look at Pretty Little Thing, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners are aware of, if you look at 2019, they had a revenue of £374.4 million. And why this is really amazing is because the PLT started in 2012. So within seven years, they curated a revenue of £374 million. Their profit margin was 56.6%. So they're making a mad profit margin on their items. And it's, some, and it's crazy to believe that some dresses, they were selling dresses for at one point earlier in the year, or I think it was last year for like £3 and that. I'm thinking, how can you make a profit on a dress for three flipping pounds? It's crazy. And if you look at um, PLT, just for some random information to round up, 80% of their revenue is from the UK. And their next biggest market is the US, so 7.3%. And then Europe, 6.8%, and the rest of the world, 6.6%. So yeah, fast fashion. Really, the most successful, the initiate, the originators was really Zara, the first ones that really, once I originated, the trailblazers that got it popping. Ultra fast fashion, what we're seeing with the online boutiques, such as Pretty Little Thing, Misguided, and all those places. And how they function is by having low cost and being speedy. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. Please make sure you're following on SoundCloud, following on Spotify, subscribed on. Apple Podcast. Make sure you hit the the bell on. I think it's on Sound on Spotify. So when my podcast drops, it'll come straight to your phone. You can just click it. Boom, done. And of course, YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. Shot and Chaser. Subscribe to that on Spotify. All these links will be in the bio, by the way. And yeah, until next week. Peace and blessings. Sports Social Podcast Network.